G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. I did some research into mum's side of the family and it's just all dead ends. But my dad's side of the family, I started looking into the name of the town my dad came from and I found the family name and I contacted one person and they said, oh yeah, Uncle Peter. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Peter Vasic was at a low point in his life when he began to think that he had no future. It was about at this time that God revealed to him his past. That is, his family's heritage, going all the way back to the former Yugoslavia. This led him to an interest in restoring old photographs, and eventually his life was restored. We'll find out how it all fits together as today Peter shares his story and the many challenges he's faced. He's chatting with Karen Hunt from his home in Adelaide. Peter Vasic, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. You've told me that you have a Serbo-Croatian background. Were you actually born in Australia or born overseas? No, I was born here in 1960. My father was um, from a region called Kosovo in the former Yugoslavia, mm. Serbian region, and my mum was from uh, northern Yugoslavia, Croatian-Hungarian heritage. So, um, yeah, um, I had an older brother who was also born here. So what brought them out to Australia? My dad became a soldier with the Royal Yugoslav Army in 1939 as a result of uh, Yugoslavia being invaded by the Germans. He was conscripted. For the first six months, he spent his time uh, in his cabin uh, and um, the latrines just, uh, you know, enjoying the sea life. Uh, until they said, look, we can't use you here. You have to go into the army. So he was sent to the Royal Yugoslav Army, uh, whereupon he ended up in Malta and then North Africa. Seconded to the British, he fought alongside the British uh, under them for the war and was captured uh, two or three times in his period there sent back to Yugoslavia and was in camps there, escaped and made his way back to the regions he needed to to be shipped back to North Africa. He was injured just prior to the end of the war and uh, was unable to leave the, the camp where he was at and he was also unable to go back to what was now a communist country uh, Yugoslavia, because of his attachment to the Royal Yugoslav Army. Mm. They were the mortal em- enemy to the communists. Wow. So if he had gone back, he would have been killed. Absolutely. He spent two years in recuperation from his injuries and then worked at a camp called El Shat as an MP for the British. 
uh, which was a refugee camp for all displaced Southern Europeans. By 1948, his time was up with the army. Uh, the British um, allowed him to leave and he was discharged, but he had to make a choice. And it was either Australia, Canada, the United States or the UK. Now, he had fought alongside Aussies in the desert. And the stories that I'd heard over the years were, he said, nobody was crazier than the Aussies when they fought. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he said uh, he enjoyed being with the British because they were so uh, forthright, upper crust. Yes, sir, no, sir, three bags, full, sir. Whereas the Australians tended to do things on a more <laughs> loose uh, basis. A little and bit he, more easygoing, hey? Yeah, yeah. Even when they fought, he said, but they had a way about them that intimidated the Germans and he really, really felt an affinity to that. Mm. And the other thing he said to me was the way they used to keep this egg around and call it a football. <laughs> uh, and he said, that's the place I have to go. It's on the other side of the earth. There is no wars that could possibly ever get there. And these people have what I believe to be the right way at looking at life. So he came here in 1948. Wow. So do you have older siblings? I had one brother who was killed in a hit-and-run accident oh, outside our home in 1999. Uh, he was my older brother by 18 months, and um, that was it. How old was he at the time? 41. And yourself? I was 39. Mm. And um, we were, at that time, living together in a home, our family home, and um, I was at work a couple of miles away uh, on a straight road from where I lived. As I came out of uh, where I worked, I could see down the road all these flashing lights, you know, the ambulance and the police. And immediately, immediately I drove out. I thought, oh, something's happened to Alex. <sighs> I don't know why. I just knew it. And as I drove up, I got closer and closer and closer. I had to turn left, and as I turned left, I could see the light up on the road, my brother lying there. And I said, yeah, that's Alex. And uh, I had to go over, got out my car, walked over 30 metres, and the police tried to hold me back, said, who are you, what are you doing? I said, that's my brother there on the road. Um, and they just looked at me, and I was just, in a state of shock, uh, but I knew it was him. I said, that's my brother, and he's gone. Mm. So, um, yeah. That's very uh, distressing. I can only imagine at that time. Oh, it was, um, yeah, it was a very difficult time. How did that impact your family? My father had died uh, three years before. Mm -hmm. So basically, my life with my first wife had, you know, finished with um, divorced and I was living on my own with my brother. Uh, it was before I met uh, Kathy, my, my wife now, and um, it just uh, sent me into a downward spiral at that time, uh, which was really difficult. And uh, his nephews and nieces, my kids, uh, they just didn't know how to deal with it because they were much younger. You know, they were seven, eight, nine, ten uh, years old and um, they uh, they found it very difficult to deal with. Mm. Peter, 
let's press the rewind button. Go sure. back to your actual early mm-hmm. years. Yeah. When you were born in Adelaide and yes. growing up as a young child, uh, mm-hmm. both your parents from yeah. Europe, what was life yeah. like in Adelaide in your childhood years? My mother was a businesswoman. She could speak seven languages. Wow. She was a high-functioning person and she ran a business that she owned with my dad. But my dad was a peasant farmer from the Kosovo region mm. and uh, that was a real interesting uh, dichotomy between the two um, in in our home because uh, my dad had a really basic way of understanding life and my mother was a sophisticated uh, European city woman. Mm. It was really stressed growing up but I had a wonderful childhood up until business became really busy and my mum and dad spent a lot of time involved in the business and less and less time with my brother and myself. So we started to get up to hijinks when we were in our <laughs> teens. Okay. Give me an example. When I was four years old, my mum was in the business, my dad was working, so I decided to walk from where we lived to find my dad down at the port, which was five miles away. So I ended up in Port Adelaide, five miles away from my home, um, and I was picked up by a policeman near the Port Adelaide police station who asked me who I was and that. Because I'd been brought up in a mainly European-speaking home, I was finding it difficult to understand what he was asking me. Mm-hmm. He asked me to point at a map where I lived. Mm-hmm. Now, I just pointed at the map. Um and it ended up at being in a suburb another four or five miles away from where we lived. <laughs> wow. Which they ended up taking me to, and it was near a Holden's, uh, General Motors Holden's manufacturing plant. You're going to love this. <laughs> we were out at the front of it when the siren went and thousands of men walked out. One of them happened to be my cousin, who was in his 20s, who said, that's my little cousin. And uh, the police uh, handed me over to you. But you were taken care of and let go, yes? Yes. yes. Praise yes. God. <laughs> Absolutely. But that would be very scary for a little toddler. You know, it was an adventure. <laughs> Great. I love that response. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, yeah, it wasn't scary. It was just an adventure. I loved every moment of it. So you have a passion for life, uh, a creative passion for life, considering what you're currently doing. What what were you good at in your school years? I used to draw the teachers. I used to draw kids in class. I used to talk too much. I used to you know, illustrate the he- headmaster, and there would be pictures everywhere of these funny-looking people because I would do caricatures of them and really accentuate their... Uh, um, Best you know, features, I assume. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> so there were people coming to me all the time. Can you draw Miss So and So? Can you draw Miss wow. So and So? And this sort of stuff. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. So that drew me into the whole art area mm. of things. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so when you finished school, like I guess, firstly, did you finish school? Well, sort of. I got to twelfth year, dropped out. Spent six or 12 months like uh, looking for work and things like that and came to 1978 and I hadn't 
had a job by that stage except for working at a petrol station on the weekends. And uh, my mum died. Uh, she had a, um, a stroke. Mm. Uh, my brother and I were out that night and we got home early in the morning and I was in our spare room and I heard my mum call out my name and I ran into the bathroom and there she was slumped on the ground and uh, I tried to revive her and we called the ambulance and took her to the hospital and she had a massive stroke and she was um, in intensive care for two or three days and then she passed away and that was it for me. That changed my life completely. Not something that you would expect or, or want to start your early adult years, hey? No. Uh, I, as an 18-year-old, I was not one of these self-assured, confident, know where you're going, you know, know what your path is going to be in, in life. Yeah. I was a naive, soft inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always had this veneer of hardness on the outside, but my life had just taken a, cha- uh, a change that I never thought I would recover from. Mm. So how did you cope? What did you do? Well, at that time, uh, my mum had a small business uh, and my dad was still working on the wharf and I had to take over running the small business. And for me, it was, she had taught me things over the years because I'd always worked in the family businesses from the time I was five years old. It was just something that we did as kids. We did something, you know, either we cleaned or we stacked or we washed or we wiped or we packed or we, you know, did things and we sat in with the reps that came in to see my mum and, you know, just all these things. And But it was the first time I'd ever, my dad said to me, uh, because my brother was gone, he was up in Queensland, uh, my dad said to me, uh, you're going to have to run this until we sell it. And I just didn't know what to do. Um, and I just said, well, I I just have to do what my mum taught me. So we ran it for long enough till we sold it, which took several months. And then I went back to high school and applied myself and became ducks of the school. Good for you. Uh, yeah. Well I, done, I, Peter. I, I, well, it was from where I was before to where I where I'd come to was remarkable. Mm. And that's where I met my wife-to-be. So my life started moving forward from there. I got married when I was 23, and uh, I had um, three kids. I've got three great kids from, you know, my uh, first marriage and four wonderful stepkids. So how long did that marriage last? 13 years. And... um, what were you I, working in at that time? Well, I was a sales rep for a, um, a paint company mm-hmm. and I ran my art design business on the side. And it grew and it grew <laughs> to the point where um, I um, was having real difficulties maintaining a commitment to a company that was beginning to become a national paint brand. It was a South Australian company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd expanded that role quite dramatically uh, that I was doing within it. But I felt this real need to be able to branch out and do things on my own, uh, which I did. But moving up to that, 
it caused real frictions within my marriage. That amongst a lot of other things, but that's, I couldn't control the way that I was feeling. I really felt the need to be able to create and create in a way that put me in a position that was not, um, you know, when you're working as an executive in a, in a large company, everything is, you know, you can see forward uh, to a degree and, and plan your way forward. But when you're on your own, especially in an artistic capacity, things are left more up to, you know, the way the prevailing wind blows. You know, you can develop what you can, but at the same time, you're there trying to tap into markets that may not necessarily want what you do. Sure. But I just had to do it. Uh, and it grew. But my marriage was finished. And that that tore me to pieces um, because I adored my family. I adored my children. Uh, and I still do. So, and, so another uh, hard season, another hard season. Like you said, another hard season just presented itself. So mm. I went through several very difficult years growing that business, uh, trying to live on my own, fighting to try and ensure that my father died in that time as well. Mm. And my brother and I were trying to protect our family assets uh, which invariably we found very difficult to do. We lost most of them in my battles, um, and my brother died. Um, and then I, I just didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. You're listening to The Story. Today, Karen Hunt is chatting with Peter Vasic about his life journey. As we're hearing, Peter has experienced his share of loss and grief, but we're about to hear how restoration is a key theme in his life. All that and more is coming up when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Karen Hunt chatting with Peter Vasic, who's sharing his life journey. Before the break, Peter was sharing about the deaths of many loved ones in his life and the impact this has had on him. However, as we'll hear, the word restoration begins to become a theme. Peter, what did your father die from? My dad died from two things, or several things, I should say. A broken heart. Because from when my mum died, he never recovered from that. His life was revolved around her and he didn't look after himself in the way that she would have looked after him. Now, I know that sounds old-fashioned, but, you know, he didn't do the things that he would have been reminded to be done by my mum. He got diabetes and complications from that that could have been managed but he just didn't have that 
the wherewithal or the, the, the want to continue to do things because life wasn't the same for him. Yes. And then he passed away in 1996. So for you, Peter, first mm-hmm. your mum died, mm-hmm. your marriage died, mm-hmm. your father died. Yes. That's a lot of hardship already at quite a young age. Where was God in the picture then? He wasn't. Not from my perspective. Um, When I say he wasn't, he was there, but I wasn't. So my father came from Serbian Orthodox traditions, and um, he was a very proud Serbian Orthodox man. But he didn't, he didn't force the religion upon me. He just always had references to God through our lives. It was like water off a duck's back. My mother's side of the family, my great-grandfather, was a Lutheran evangelical minister. Oh, wow. And his father was a Lutheran evangelical minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, who set up a church, or what would they call it, church planting. Yes. Set up, I planted a church in, in um, southern Hungary and northern Serbia in the late 1700s, early 1800s. And people say to me, pardon, your great-great-grandfather <laughs> in the 1700s. I said, yeah, and your great-grandfather in the 1800s. I said, yeah. I said, I haven't had, you know, they lived a long time, these people. Wow. Um, yeah, uh, but he died in the late 1800s, and then my grandfather died in the 1950s, but I never got to meet, meet these people. But it's in your bloodline. Well, apparently. <laughs> and at the time, you had no clue? No, no, I had no clue whatsoever. So life just had its way of moving forward, and then I met Kathy, my wife-to-be, by sheer luck, um, and... It was a match, I mean, you love these words, made in heaven. God said to me, must have said, there he is, Uh, there she is, mate, you've had a rough trot. This one needs to be there for you because she is everything the Bible says a woman should be. My only way of is envisaging an angel in heaven is her. Wow. So let's let's jump ahead a little bit. The art business. Are yes. you still working in that industry now with your new family arrangement? Yes. I now am involved in f- uh, photo restoration photo colorization, historical research revol- uh, revolved around that. I also do illustration and cartooning and animation stuff that uh, I, I work with, uh, and I'm developing that area within the photo restoration work that I do. So I'm looking to animate historical photos mm. that I've colorized and uh, so forth. So, yes, I do that sort of work now, and it is so fulfilling and so wonderful when you can create something and bring it to life. 
just through its colorization. And now I'm uh, working at the, um, the embryonic stages of animating photographs. It just takes on a whole new dimension. Peter, I'm interested to know, did this come out of fascination for finding out about your own family history? Yes, <laughs> it did actually. Well, we'll have to stop it right there because we've run out of time on today's program. But we invite you to join us again next time as we'll hear more of Peter Vasek sharing his story. And specifically, we'll find out how learning more about his own family history ultimately leads Peter to starting his own photograph restoration business. Now, at this point in Peter's story, he's gone through some very rough times with the death of many loved ones. But Jesus tells us in the Bible, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Also, the Bible says God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Next time, we'll hear how the theme of restoration continues in Peter's life, not only in his business of restoring old photographs, but also God leads him on a restoration journey of his own. All that and more is coming up next time. Meanwhile, if you want to learn more about Peter's business, his website is pastcolors.com. That's pastcolors.com.au. Well, until next time, when we'll hear more of Peter Vasek's story, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. One day, Kathy just sat there and looked at me and I said, we're effectively going to lose everything. And then I said, Kathy, if that's the way, that's the way. This God that I've sort of talked about lately, I said, he'll he'll have to handle this. Peter Vasek has always had a natural talent for art and has worked in the graphic and fine arts industry. So when he began researching his family's history, this eventually led to starting a photo restoration business. Little did he know at the time that God would lead him on his own restoration journey. We'll hear more of Peter Vasek's story next time. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.